Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Jack Michelle Radio Hour. It's September 8th, 2018, and I am in Denver. This is my first road podcast. You are on the road with me. You are currently in Denver. It is magical here. I've never seen so many puffy vests in my life, and uh, it's life-changing. Because you realize there's a different way to live. There's a way to live without sleeves. No limits. No sleeves. No fear. That's what I say. And, um, yeah. Not only does, um, does not having sleeves on, on uh, puffy jackets get rid of fear, uh, it also makes um, using hiking poles uh, or skiing poles easier. You have more range of motion, and your armpits don't sweat quite as much. Um, I wonder if um, vests are just a thing. Like, you know, like they start in Ohio, where people are like, you know, the former coach like would wear a vest um, just because, just because. Just I think it actually starts in Pennsylvania and other things. But it starts with um, with that guy who was used to be a senator. And then Dan Savage made a vulgar act out of his name. I forget what his name is. Uh, but in any case, that guy wore vests. And then the Ohio State coach wore vests, and then you get to Denver, and they become puffy. It's like um, it's the derivative, if you will. And then uh, when you get to the West Coast, people just don't wear shirts. They just it's just it's just all all muscle, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but welcome to the show. Uh, I am in Denver. It is beautiful here. Uh, the air is clean. <laughs> Say that the air is clean. Yes, the air is clean, and um, and it's fine. Uh, and this is also uh, my first show that I've been doing after drinking a beer, which is crazy because it feels weird. It feels real weird. I don't know. I don't know if I can do this on a regular basis. I think I may um, have to do that uh, without a beer uh, because. I think <laughs> between you and me, I think I could probably just be happy if I just stared at the um, at the clock just tick for the next 52 minutes or 58 minutes. And I think I would be like, that was a successful podcast. That's the danger of alcohol. <laughs> just like, yeah, I'm killing it. I'm killing it. It's great. You know, the seconds move. It goes around 60 ticks, 60 ticks. And a minute has passed. And you get 60 of those, so you get 300 and... No, not 360 ticks. That's six minutes. Um, 3,600 ticks. And um, and it just flies by. That's insane. I feel like I'm wasting your time. I mean, you realize that when you spend uh, an episode with me, uh, that's that's three... That's... (sighs) That's 3,600 ticks that you could be using towards watching Maury, towards petting a dog, towards curing cancer, and yet you're here with me. I shouldn't really assume that because there is a possibility that you could be, um, as you listen to this podcast, you actually could be doing cancer research. Um, so, you know what, actually, if you're still doing, if you're doing cancer research and you like this podcast, just put the headphones on while you splice that DNA and look inside those um, look inside those microscopes that's <laughs> I stopped I stopped science in high school 
So I'm just going to assume that the way you solve cancer is um, is by splicing DNA and um, and looking through a microscope and just going. Hmm. Also, standing in front of a um, standing in front of a board with a white coat on that seems really important. Glasses definitely further the fight against cancer uh, and should not be discounted. So. Uh, you know, actually, now that I think about it, man, this podcast is really amazing. It could be doing amazing things, provided you are doing something amazing while you're listening to it. So just get your fucking act together, okay? Don't be dry. Don't be. Don't be. Don't be in your car listening to this. You know, be like, I don't know, like, like shooting a hawk, a, a hawk with like a bow and arrow, or you know, perhaps, you know, training your own hawk, putting a hood over its head, training it to come back to you. Probably getting a glove so its talons don't sink into your forearm. Those kinds of things. So, so you don't just have to, what I'm saying is it would also be productive if you listen to this while going to REI to get your leather glove for your hawk. That's also included in productive activity. That would be life-changing to have a hawk, I think. Like just, 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 just imagine. You get a hawk. Like an intruder comes in, like, you know? Fucking Griffin the Hawk just grabs the, the that, you know that's sort of an insulting name to give a hawk. You know, Griffin. I feel like it's. Um <laughs> I feel like it would probably be more polite to just call it Hawk. I feel like that's yeah, that's probably the most insulting thing you can do to to anything. Is it just call it what it is? Except plants. Like plants, it's like yes, that is my cactus. Like you would not be like, hey, that's Dave. <laughs> You're like, no, it's a cactus. But like uh, calling a dog, like naming your dog dog, or naming your child boy or girl, um, would probably pretty disrespectful. Um, similarly, naming your hawk a hawk, it'd be better to name your, your hawk griffin, even though it would be a big misnomer and confuse people. Um, though it would be good to name like a hawk, like some of those dog names, like killer or... Um, I don't know. Baxter. Names like that. Uh, killer. Spot. <laughs> I would name my hawk Spot. I, because he's got good eyes, of course. Uh, <laughs> what am I talking about? What am I talking about? I'm talking about being in Denver and there being hawks and birds. And you have to watch out for bears. And yeah, like a fucking a hawk would be amazing. And true, like a hawk could definitely stop a home invasion. Not because your hawk, I mean, could you, a then for two reasons, and I'm gonna go in reverse order of importance. Like the n- number two reason a hawk would be good to have to prevent home invasions is because a hawk could fucking fuck someone up really badly if they came in your house. Uh, but the most important reason I, I think that if an intruder came in and they saw that you had a hawk living in your home, they would say. This guy's so weird, there's nothing valuable in here. Anything that's valuable in here, that hawk has already clearly fucked up. He's probably eaten all his jewelry, destroyed his TV, his laptop, his life. Um, he's, yeah. I mean, I, they, I think the most valuable, if, if I was robbing a home and I saw a hawk, when I, you know, like smash through the window, like I, like I come to the back window and I just smash the window in. And then I reach my arm through the glass pane, of course, and I undo the lock and open the door. And I, if I saw a hawk just come and fly at me, I think I'd be scared shitless. And then I'd be like, eh, the most valuable thing in this home is probably that hawk. Very well trained. 
and you're just coming at me that way. And so I think I'd want the hawk. Uh, I want the hawk real bad. <laughs> That's what I text people and I, I want the hawk real bad. And um, they don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Because they're parents and they don't get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, they don't really get it. Anyways, uh, what else? Yeah, yeah, I was in uh, in Denver. I went to Rocky Mountain National Park, which was awesome. I know I'm whispering. It's like I'm in this enclosed. I'm at a, I'm at a, I'm at a, a church that's been renovated to be a uh, getaway place. Uh, and one of the fun aspects of it is that you, um, one of the weirder parts of it, though I feel like it is fulfilling the original intention of a church, is that you can hear everyone. You can hear, no matter where you are in the house, you can hear everyone else in the house, which I, I is probably similar to how a church is constructed slash devised. And um, <laughs> slash every, you can hear everyone else as God intended it. I don't know why I do a southern voice for religion. I mean, there are definitely uh, religious people who just sound like this, um, including sort of yours truly. Maybe we'll get into that one day. And, um, yeah, but so basically, like, I, you know, other people are in other rooms, so I feel like I'm, like, whispering like a co-conspirator in some kind of plot to break the Internet. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's why I'm, I'm doing NPR voice today. We're doing NPR voice. And you're listening to Fresh Air. I'm here with my guest, Carl Castle. And, uh, as you know, my name is, uh, Kenji Nakatoni. That is not her name. Her name is, I don't remember what her name is. Anyways, it's a pretty good interview show. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, it's been amazing. It's been very interesting to be here. Uh, I went out to Rocky Mountain National Park where there were just so many rocks, so many rocks. It's quite incredible. It's, it's stunning how many rocks there are, uh, but it's, <laughs> but it's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. Uh, some really good rocks that I saw, uh, also bears, uh, and elk, uh, and trees and vistas and lakes on top of mountains. Interesting place to place them, God. Why would you put it up there? Who uses it? Who's going to go hike up there and swim? An elk? No. Uh, but they're beautiful formations. Um, it is funny because, like, you know, like, we, 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 like, by the time we got to the top of this hike, we, went, we were in Estes Park and we went on a hike and we went for a while and then we hit, like, a, um, the top of a mountain that had a, it had a lake on it and then we were like well, let's keep pushing forward and like see the rest of it and we went up like again like another 30 minutes and it was just another lake and it was just like funny because i was like oh geez that was just just back-to-back lakes like let's just say that there's a diminishing return on lakes like the first one takes your breath away and literally 20 minutes later you see another one and you don't care you're <laughs> You're just like I want to go home. Um, so I think I think I did hit my wall in terms of loving nature. You know, like just like too much of it. You know, like an hour a week is incredible of nature, but like, <sighs> but like six hours in one day. If I haven't hiked for six weeks, it's too much. It's too much. It needs to be parceled out. It's like a binge hiking, you know, like that's like I need to I need to go to like a Neiman Marcus and spend a few hours there to just balance everything out. I honestly do. Uh, But it was cool. It was was really nice. And mostly it was just like beautiful to be up there. Like just these surreal 
you know, Microsoft background prototype environment to be in. And I was just, and we stayed at this amazing Airbnb uh, that was just, it wasn't through Airbnb, it was through something else. Basically, this beautiful house um, with a guy who uh, appeared to be a Chinese spy. Uh, more on that later. Uh, he, <laughs> and by more on that later, I mean now. Uh, to quote Ferris, you sorry to his date. Uh, by later, I mean 30 seconds from now. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was just cool. It was just like this amazing house and we just hung around and, and you know, uh, rubbed our feet after hiking for a long time and watched Kung Fu movies. It was, uh, incredible. I saw Tai Chi Master, which I had never seen. My friend was raving about it and we watched it and it was a young Jet Li. Uh, the acting is bad, but the plot is interesting. That, you know, like there's a pivotal moment in it. Where uh, again, this is Tai Chi Master. It came out in 1993. Uh, early film from Jet Li. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is also in it of Crazy Rich Asians fame and fortune, fame and fortune. Let's not forget. Um, I think the cast might be some Crazy Rich Asians now. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was just like the Tai Chi Master was like awesome. Like had all this philosophy. It was a little cheesy, a little cheesy, very cartoonish, maybe a laugh at times. But, like, there was this one moment where, like, because his main character, who's played by Jet Li, goes, like, sort of crazy because his friend betrays him. And he sort of has, like, a nervous breakdown. And then, like, he's trying to figure out what to do. Let's see, he has to go confront his friend, who is the villain in the movie. And uh, he is just, like, walking around. And this farmer is there. And this priest comes up to him and says, um, your wife is about to have a baby. And your wife's, you know, about to give birth. And the guy runs. That'd be funny if... <laughs> Like if he didn't like he didn't know that he was about to have a baby, it's like your wife's about to have a baby, and he's like, "What? I didn't even know she was pregnant." Uh, no, no, I mean he knew she was pregnant, and uh, was told, you know, "Hey, your wife's about to have a baby," and so he um, is running, and then the priest says, and he's running slowly, and then the priest says to him, because he's carrying a bunch of sticks on his back, like a whole thing of sticks, clearly firewood. Uh, let's call it firewood. Let's not call it sticks, uh, because that doesn't say what the purpose is. Uh, but yeah, he has a bunch of firewood on his back, and. The guy says, you know, just let go of your burden. You'll go faster. And and so the guy, <laughs> I guess he's in such a panic to see his wife, he doesn't realize he's carrying, like, an extra 20. He's carrying an extra, not 20. He's carrying, like, an extra, like, 50 pounds on his back, uh, if not more, maybe 60 to 80 uh, pounds on his back. And so he just, like, drops the burden and then runs down to go see his wife. And the main character, Jet Li, like, looks at him and goes, wow, I can just let down my burden and I'll be able to move faster. And then he invents Tai Chi. And it's sort of cool. It's sort of like, yeah, that is the truth. Just let down your burdens. Lay down your burdens. It's all good. I, um, there's a kind of beauty to that. I, I, I like how martial arts films are didactic. I really, really do. I like that it's, like, you know, they're just like killing people left and right. But, like, also, it's, like, about something profound. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, you know, it's like I want to rub my extremely oversized beard that's very soft. What? Those guys always have such soft beards. I don't, like, and they don't look raggedy at all, and they're huge. I mean, do they tie them up? You put, like, one of those little, like, beard, um, it's like, do they put a hairnet on it? Are they doing stuff? Do they bleach it on a regular basis? Because they're just soft and white and flowing and I've never seen facial hair that is that soft white and flowing I hope that 
it's either a product of a very, very good hair product or reaching enlightenment and oneness with the Buddha. Like, I just, I hope it's one of those two things. And I don't care which one it is. Um, but I will say that if you get a soft beard as a product of enlightenment, that makes me want to meditate a lot harder. Um, that just sounds good. I mean, y- even your hair, your even your facial hair, your, your scraggly facial hair just goes, hey, let's just hang out. Let's just hang out on this dude's face. <laughs> You know when he, you know, most of the time we're of course not going to do anything. We're not really even going to move because this guy doesn't eat and he doesn't talk to anybody. But when he has to dispense wisdom, we'll we'll stay real like stiff but flowing. You know, like like oh, like softer than a boar bristle, but like maybe like twenty five percent softer. That's what we're going to be. That's what we're going to be as a beard. That's a good ambition for a beard to have, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah, anyways, Tai Chi Master was great. And um, very cheesy. Very cheesy and very cheeky. Uh, Pretty good stuff. Um, What did I want to talk about? What did I want to talk about? Oh, I wanted to talk about Maria. Marina. uh, uh, Maria Abramovich. Um, Very fantastic artist. I saw her documentary. Uh, Her documentary is called... Um, is called um, the artist is present, and it's a profile of a of a, her career. It's a retrospective on her career, the the exhibit, but it also it follows an exhibit called the artist is present that is on that is at a, at the New York MoMA that was at the New York MoMA for a few years, and it was a it was fantastic. It was a it was a wonderful uh, uh, installation, and it covered a retrospective of her, of her work. She enlisted thirty other artists, young artists recreate the works she did as a young woman it was wonderful um, and uh, the best part of it is uh, you're probably wondering why I'm talking in this voice and that is because um, it features me uh, Ule, uh, the curator of the exhibit uh, at the New York MoMA and a good friend of Maria uh, I like her work very much and I, I liked my appearance in the documentary it was very good um, it was a very good documentary. Um, well, let's hear what uh, maybe uh, Jack has to say about the documentary. Jack, do you want to um, do you want to give your comments? Um, as I have uh, bombarded the listener with his voice and uh, only explained afterwards what the purpose of it is. Uh, yes, of course, uh, Ule. Uh, yeah, it was just it, this documentary is on HBO. It came, I think came out in like 2012. It was about the artist's present, which was an installation, like I said. Or as Ule said, excuse me, as Ule said, uh, yes, don't uh, don't take credit for the things I introduce on this podcast, okay, Jacques? Um, I won't do that, Ule. Out of respect for you, your commitment to art, and also um, so I don't get sued by you, because you probably have really, really good lawyers. And well, s- thank you for noticing that, Jacques. Um, so anyways, yeah, it was this documentary called Marina Abramovich, The Artist is Present. It was awesome. It had this profile of her at the New York MoMA. And um, it was just, like, interesting. Like, I heard about it, and I was like, oh, she seems like an interesting person. I saw some of her work at the Tate Modern uh, when I went to London over the summer, and I thought it was really neat and very challenging. Uh, her the, the work that they profiled uh, at the Tate Modern was uh, this work she did where she laid out a table. And I've told a bunch of people about this because I was like, it's so striking and jarring. Um, and I heard about it before, but to actually see the video of it and to see... Um, at, at the Tate Modern, they had a they had a table full of all the 
<laughs> I should explain what the art piece was. I forget what the name of it is, but basically it was that Marina Abramovich, as a young woman, basically stands on a stage w- clothed, and she basically says, I'm going to stand on this stage, and uh, I have a bunch of things on this table, and you can use any of them on me that you want, and um, you know I, there w- I won't punish you, there won't be any kind of revenge or anything, I won't press charges, you know, anything you do to me is not considered a crime. And she stood there uh, for, I forget how many hours, and she invited the press, and invited people from the public, and, I mean, the things on this table, there was like a fucking saw, there were a bunch of knives, uh, weapons, hardware equipment, um, other things like tissues, and uh, a feather, and a scarf, you know, so some sweet things, but like a gun was on the table, and just just like a, just a, like a hatchet was on the table, just so many things, and um, and people came, and like over the course of the exhibit, like you see like guys come up to her, she start she's wearing clothes, like they start fondling her, they start kissing her, they take off her clothes, you know, she starts weeping. Uh, a woman comes up and uses one of the tissues or uses I think one of the towels to like dab her face. I don't know why she just so, you know, if she was sympathetic to Marina, why she didn't put her clothes back on, but hey, you know, I don't know. It's hard to address. I mean, who really wants to dress an adult? I mean, no one but a nurse. No one but a hospice nurse. And, um, yeah, it was just like this really striking exhibit at the Tate Modern. And I, I knew about Marina before, but like, to actually see, you know, the installation of her work and to see like, you know, slides from uh, her performance of that work, I was just like, oh, wow, I'm really interested in this artist now. Um, and so when I found out that it was mentioned on some podcasts, like this documentary, I was like, ah, I want to watch it too. And, um, and you know, the, the line that actually hooked me into the documentary was um, on this podcast, someone said, there's a line from Marina Van Abramovich when she's like initiating these young artists who are going to be part of her work. She says, you know, they'll hate me now but they'll love me forever. They'll be grateful to me forever, um, which is like some cult leadership, but also like some crazy artist shit, which is sort of like cult leadership. Um, and just, yeah, it was just nuts. Uh, it was just like so bananas um, as, a, as a quote. So I was like, I got to watch this. So I ended up watching it, and I just thought it was, I just like, I thought it was really cool. Um, it was just like this profile of her work, but also like a profile of this particular project she did. Um, and it, the, the project for the artist is present was literally Marina just standing there from the opening of um, the MoMA to the close, so I think for like eight or nine hours a day, and it's just her sitting in a chair, and she just sits in the chair, and uh, she, you know, basically like it, you sit across from her at a table, and then she opens her eyes, and she looks at you, and presumably you look at her, and you just have this interaction. And you normally, I mean, performance art is sort of as obnoxious as interpretive dance, but there was something that I just really, I don't know, there was just something compelling about her. I mean, even if you're not crazy about the work, it's just, I think it was just fun to even just see, like, how does this artist, like, how does she think about her work? How does she think about her career? Like, what are the challenges in it? What's the back room of the business? Uh, what's her relationship like with other artists? You know, a lot of it was about, you know, just like other people around her in the story of her career and people who inspired her. She had, like, this 12-year relationship with, like, another artist who also did, like, challenging performance art. Um, But she could sit for longer than him, and they had conflict. And, 
you know, insecurity came up and difference of values and difference of goals and they broke up and she was heartbroken. But then she ended up having like this even more successful, wealthy career afterwards and really just kept pushing forward on her work. And I just loved it. I loved everything about it. Um, I still don't quite know how I feel about her work, but but I loved I just loved it. Um, I loved seeing. I just I don't know. I was just interested. I was like, oh, well. And I mean, admittedly, like I also like her work. I like in the sense of like she, she's like has a very like roundabout way of bringing up like issues of body, of feminism, you know, of violence against women. Right? She's inviting these male viewers, and what do they do? They take her clothes off. She's you know they can do whatever they want to her, you know. And and not only that, I mean you know, but she's also not like. It's interesting because, because, you know, when she talks about gender and, you know, conflict between men and women, her work is also, like, extremely sensual. I mean, she's very interested in sensuality and sex and love and intimacy. So it's like this critique of violence. I mean, you know, you could be interpreted as a critique of violence against women, but it also uh, occurs in this larger discussion of just, like, what, what are men and women to one another? Like, like, how do they work together? How do they fit together? How do they not fit together? Is it possible for them to fit together? A couple times throughout it, she always says, oh, this guy was cute. Hey, is he single? You know, because she is, she's just, she's just trying to figure it out. Like, you get the sense that she's, like, totally in control, right? But, like, but she's totally in control of her body. But at the same time, like, ugh, like everything is you know like she she can control her body and she can be disciplined um but you know there are some deep things that she really wants as a person you know uh and and it's not you know she's not creating work she's creating work to like challenge the status quo but she also uh creates work to want to transform the status quo which i think is great i don't know like that shit is just so inspiring to me i love it i can't get enough uh, and yeah, I mean, like she just shows a lot of courage and character. I, I mean, as cheesy as that is to say, but yeah, I mean, like you can think she's crazy. Like, y- I mean, you definitely are like, oh, she's crazy. This person is crazy, and she's weird. And performance art is weird. But like, when you learn her story, you're like, oh, this this totally makes sense. Like everything about it makes sense. Like her 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 parents were these revolutionaries, and they you know, were very focused on their goals and very strict and not very warm with, with Marina. And so that, that has informed her character. That has informed her art, even, right? Like, she, you know, has... It seems like she has this really complicated relationship with her mom and wanting more love. And that's something I can really relate to. And the form that that takes, the form that, like, that the sternness, like, it's like she's... Her mom was very cold to her and, you know, would make her sit you know, or would go a while without eating or things like that because her mom wanted her to be tough and hard. And, you know, if I uh, that might not be a perfect recollection, but it's something along those lines. And the fact that she became an artist and she wove that into her art, I think is just beautiful. I think it's just so cool. Like, that she... <laughs> that she took a w- what she was given and she did something with it. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Like, the idea that, like, th- as an artist, it's like my responsibility is to be myself. You know, and then see what happens after that. But the most important part is sort of the self-acceptance or drilling down into the self. It's looking within as opposed to looking outwardly. And it seems like she is very much an artist that is looking very inwardly. Very inwardly. I mean, 
I mean, I, I'd be curious to know who her influences are, but it almost seems like I'm curious if she has any. I mean, she clearly she must have some, but I'm even curious how they influenced her. I mean, she was a leading a leading light in, in emerging performance art, and uh, I mean, there were a couple before her, right? Uh, I can think of the that that pilot who crashed. I forget what his name is, but he did performance art. He did he did a piece called "I Like America and America Likes Me." Uh, that guy. Um, let me look up his name. Uh, I like America. Um, I'm gonna look it up. I like America and likes me. Um, oh, Joseph Boys. Yeah, he 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 would do like art installation pieces. Um, I like America and America likes me is a pretty ridiculous piece because it's basically. <laughs> He did this piece where he got brought by it by by an ambulance into a hospital. Um, um, oh my god! Uh, he <laughs> he got himself brought uh, to he flew to America, uh, and then he was uh, wrapped by. Well, here I'm just going to read this article from artsy.net. Uh, One day in 1974, the German conceptual artist. Joseph Boys arrived by plane in New York City where he was met by assistants who wrapped him in a large piece of felt, placed him in an ambulance, and delivered him to the Rene Block Gallery in Soho. Uh, and uh, Boys had been flown in for an important meeting, awaiting the artist in the enclosed, if well-lit gallery space, was a live coyote. So began his, most his famous performance work, I Like America, America Likes Me. For three consecutive days, boys would spend eight hours living and communing with the coyote, which been <laughs> which had been transported to the city after some ling ling legal finagling. Uh, so this was what he did. This is what he did. And he just... And, and the reason he did it was because in 1944, so this was in 1974, 30 years prior, and, um, and, and his he was a German fighter pilot and... Uh, his plane crashed, and uh, he landed in Crimea, and nomadic Tartar tribesmen in the area found him and wrapped him in animal fat and felt to protect and insulate him. Uh, and so that became the symbol, like felt becomes a symbol of healing, and so he just, he just like went for it. Like, so okay, so that person predates um, some of Marina's work, but basically, you know, like she's just, it almost seems like she's making it up as she's going along. She's taking what was given to her in her life. And I think that that is just, to me, that's the shit. Like, just, like, realizing it's like, oh, instead of, like, running from, like, what I've been given, like, take what I've been given and incorporate that into the work, that's what the shit is about. That's what, like, that's what work is about. That's, 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 like, great. Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, weaving that in, and, it, and y so you get interested. You get interested in the person. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think, I just think, um, like, this is just, like, I don't know. I, I just think she's, like, a really interesting artist. Okay, I'm going to stop looking at the internet uh, because it's distracting me. But basically, yeah. I mean, like, so her story was, like, her mom was just really tough on her. And, um, and so that became a part of her work, creating these challenging physical works where she'd go without food water she'd be sitting for long periods of time there's something extremely like almost like profoundly soviet about uh, her work and she's serbian and um you know came of age during the cold war 
um, you know, and yeah, it's just like, even though it's crazy, it's like, yeah, you know, you're going to sit in the seat in the MoMA and it's a seat with a drawer that you can poop in. Totally. That totally makes sense. Um, and she explores her figure and it's, it's, inter- I mean, and she also, I mean, not to mention she is like a beautiful and voluptuous woman. Um, I feel like that's a weird thing for me to say, like a weird thing to bring up. Like, hey, she's got nice gams. <laughs> uh, did I mention that this podcast is being done in 2018? But I think it is really important because it's like what I said before. Like, her work is about like sensuality and like the erotic and like craziness between men and women and insanity between men and women. And that's even like what the documentary sort of explores, like in a couple different ways. Like, it explores it with her between her. And the performance artist that she lived with out of, like, a truck for five years, um, you know, um, but but also, like, like I- even in the film, like, when you get to Ule, uh, so she, <laughs> so, so again, a, a key part of the documentary that I love, I mean, you know, like, uh, obviously, like, yeah, I have a lot of respect for it, as you could probably tell, but, like, another part of the documentary that I just loved was that she, like, her... Her handler for the SF moment was this strange man named Ule. And he would just say these weird things. These super weird things. He would just, he was just like, and he just had this accent and he was just hilarious to me. He was just so funny. Like, like, I don't, like, I just, I wanted to hang out with him. Like, 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 ugh. I just, I just thought he was just like, uh, it's, I don't know. I just thought it was hilarious. Like, just Ule. Like, he's he's like this like frigging blonde Hitler youth looking dude um, with just the bluest piercing eyes. Like, it could be a model, probably. Probably was a model. And um, and he is like you know the curator for this specific exhibit. He's not the chief curator, but he f- figures into the film into the documentary uh, significantly. They have a lot of interviews with him. And you meet him, and he's just like, who is this weird guy with this accent? Like, almost felt like a Fred Armisen character. Like, oh, you're talking with Marina, and she's like, yes, I'm from Serbia, and I I can't do the accent at all. Um, I think I might have been fascinated with Ule just because I probably can do the accent. But, I mean, you just meet Ule, and he talks, you know, like, you see him a little bit, and then at one point he's like, you know, it was the first time I, um, he has, like, this weird, inappropriate, this weird relationship with her, like, it's like he worships her, but he's scared of her, but he also doesn't trust her, and it just, like, creates for such tension, and, and the idea is, like, I think, I think, <laughs> as much as I'm making fun of him, like, I think there actually is probably a basis for him seeing, when you, when there's a moment in, in the film where they, inter- where they interview him, and he basically goes, you know, it was the first time I met Maria, I... I said, "Oh my God, um, she's in love with me. She's in love with me, and um, and uh, it's made me very uncomfortable." Um, but then I realized that um, Maria falls in love with everybody um, because uh, Maria isn't in love with me or isn't in love with you. She's in love with the world, and she has so much uh, adoration for it. And that that is the tricky thing about Maria. I want. You know, when I work with as a curator, I work with Maria, and um, but you know, there's Maria the artist, and then there's Maria the um, the the object. She is the object of her own work as a performance piece. She herself is performing the pieces, and that gets very murky, because I want to interact with Maria as a person, the artist, not Maria as an object. When she performs, because she makes herself an object, and. She, you know, her interactions with her, she turns you into part of the object. 
And this is like actually like a legitimately interesting and sort of profound thing for him to observe, considering that her installation is her, right? Her installation is her interacting with patrons, patrons, excuse me, patrons. Shout out to our sponsor, Patron. Uh, our, the Patrons. <laughs> As part of the deal, I have to mispronounce that word uh, to rep the, the tequila every time. So the uh, the Patrons that come to um, d- look for this in future episodes, that's all I'm saying. And, um, uh, y- you know, uh, future episodes. Uh, what was I saying? So uh, Patron. Uh, yeah, the Patrons who come to the New York Mama like are also right she is falling in love with each other and looking into their eyes but there was just something so hilarious about the idea that like this curator has the same relationship with her right like she, that she can't turn it off as an artist like that is true and interesting but what's even but, but I mean like but through the filter of that goddamn voice it's hilarious to me like Maria is very tricky she's very you know I want to interact with Maria the artist, not Maria the subject of performance pieces, and she wants to make every interaction with you a piece of art. Um, you know, um, I just wanted, I, I could have, at that point, the twist would have just been that he was the killer. That he was the killer all along. <laughs> um, but sadly, it was not an episode of Law & Order SVU. It was an HBO documentary about an artist. But I could just see, I, I could just want him to keep going off in that. Maria, uh, Marina, makes you um, fall in love with her. And, um, you know, one of the hardest things about working with Maria as a curator at a major world-class museum is that Marina likes hot cheeseburgers readily available. Um, and when I say readily, she demands that they be ready in 30 seconds or less. So that means at the moment that Marina says hot dog or cheeseburger, you have to put one in her hand within the next 30 seconds or the performance is over. It's over. So you have to have it ready. That, do you understand that means? And, and it's very hard. You know, uh, the moment's very big and uh, our kitchen is very far in the back. So that means, and you have to think, if she asks for a hot dog, let's say. It sounds simple, right? It sounds simple. Okay, well, um, you could do what 7-Eleven does, and you have uh, those those hot dogs on rollers, and, um, you know, you just pull it off, and you just, you just hand it to her. But you have to remember that Marina, she likes toppings, she likes a little Dijon, you know, th- th- in, in, in homage to her e- European roots, as well as mine. Um, and you have to spread relish, you have to spread relish, very fresh relish, over the hot dog. And then you have to b- get a big gulp, and you have to fill that up at the same time. Usually this is actually better done by two people to get it to her in time. And um, it's, you know, it's just, and then you have to run through the theater, and uh, you have to make sure that, uh, that the hot dog doesn't lose a lot of its heat. So that means you have to wrap it in foil. And, I mean, let's not even talk about the fact that when she asks for a cheeseburger, you have to make sure that the cheese is melted on the burger when it, when it, when it gets to her. And, um, and that means that, you know, you might have to spend at least 15 seconds waiting for the cheese to melt when you put it on, on the burger. Um, it's very, very difficult, very demanding, very demanding. She has a very demanding artist, but, but so sensual. The way she eats is... It's fantastic. It's beautiful. I d- I've, I've cried watching her, watching her eat, watching her eat an art. <laughs> I'm, I'm 
so emotional right now. Watching Marina eat Junior Whopper, it is, it is, it's a scene of beauty. You know, I mean, uh, the way she cradles the back of the burger, so so the pickles don't move around when she bites. It's um, it's magnificent, and um, you know, I mean. At the end of the day, it's, it totally justifies why we do art. In fact, it, I wouldn't just say that it justifies how we d- why we do art. It also reifies why we do art, you know. After seeing her, mm, you know, take a sip of the big gob, she drinks the entire, she insists, as part of her insulation, that she, she drinks the entire big gob in one continuous suck. Do you realize how physically demanding that is? Her precision. I mean, she has to breathe through her nose for maybe 90 seconds. Once she downs this big gulp. I mean, I can't have this much Pepsi at once. It's too much. But Marina does it easily. Why? Because she is a dedicated artist. But no, I I cannot. I have to interact with a person who has orchestrated the hamburger being, or the cheeseburger, or the hot dog, and big gulp being ordered. The person who puts it into motion, but the person who eats the hot dog, the person who drinks the Coke Zero, I cannot interact with that person. That, that feels so inappropriate. I don't want to be drawn into the artwork. I'm not Pepsi. But she seduces you with a crazy straw. And you forget that you're interacting with an art piece. It doesn't feel like it's something on a um on an easel anymore. Or in in a in a nice, you know, in a nice Louis Cator's frame. It feels like a person, but it isn't. It is an object. It is about a hundred and forty-five pounds of meat with another quarter pound in the stomach. That's what is going on. I'm so puzzled by Maria. She's so seductive. It's the crazy, I mean, Ule is the, it's the craziest shit. I just, I just want to hear this guy talk. I just want to know about the art world. Like by the end of the documentary, I must admit that like I admired her, but like by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, I'm fucking over this. Like I was like, I, I can't spend this much time in this person's world. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, but, but there is a part of me that just wants to make that spinoff. Wants to make a Fred Armisen character, or you could say a Jack Michelle character. Just that's a knockoff of Ule. I think that might have to be part of my repertoire at some point. Because I want, you know, like, I just wanted an interview with him where he just goes, you know, I mean, yes, I'm interested in Maria, of course. She's she's an amazing artist. She has this amazing debate about what's going on between men and women and violence and sensuality and all of these sorts of things. But um, but I approached, you know, I actually, you know, this, this project originally started um, because this exhibition was going on at and around the time we were planning this exhibition, at around the time that... I approached HBO to make a documentary about me, Ule, and, um, and focusing not on my work, but on my excellent uh, sartorial choices and uh, how I ended up with this accent, uh, being raised in Staten Island. 
um, and somehow ha- had this accent all, all through my childhood? Um, it's uh, it's a good question, you know. I, I, s- I think I think there's a, there's a story to say. Um, um, I think that's very common, and um, uh, uh, yes, I, I think I think it's. Um, Oh, it's not Ule. It's um. Oh shit! It's not Ule. It's uh, um. It's uh, the person who I'm talking about is um is um. Uh, I forget his his actual name. Uh, oh, his name is Klaus. 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 Um. Klaus. Uh, Biesenbach. And um. Yes, he's a very strange, sort of. I don't. I don't know. He's a, he's a very odd, sort of guy. Um. But a Klaus. Is my name? Excuse me. Not not uh, Ule is, is her lover um, that she worked with for a very long time. Um, I'm talking about um, uh, Klaus, and um, he is a he's a very he's uh, is a very interesting uh, guy, you know. And so I was uh, wanted to talk about you know how I developed this accent in uh, being raised uh, with my father being a trash collector. Um, you know, he he went into um, into uh, Greenpoint um, to do his uh, his work as an as a trash collector, but um, he raised me to wear lots of uh, very form-fitting clothing, and um, I uh, had to, uh, you know, I always buttoned up uh, the uh, the top button. It was just a peculiar thing I did, whether I was wearing a, um, a suit or not, or tie. Um, I just buttoned it because um, it just made sense to me. I mean, um, maybe Jacques can explain this. Um, but uh, ba- basically, I just want to say that. Um, that HBO um, was not interested. They passed on the idea of uh, something about my wardrobe, my my trench coats and um, and uh, extensive hat selection. Uh, but they did ask me if I would consider being a Bond villain uh, based on my voice. And uh, I look maybe when I was a younger man, but uh, but now not so much. I don't think I can do it. It uh, it would be too. Would be too cliche. I mean, that's already been done many times. Um, and also, also it uh, you know, it it would be a, a bad homage to my Native American heritage. Um, if I think it would misrepresent Native American people significantly for me to be portrayed as um, as an obvious West German villain um, to them. Uh, yes, I, I think we've uh, played out the string on this one, haven't we, Jacques? And uh, yeah, I think we have Ule. Goodbye, good b- goodbye, goodbye. But yeah, I ju- it's just like I don't know. It was just like just everything about Klaus was just interesting. Um, but I just, I just, I just wanted a documentary about Klaus. Just him talking that accent. He could read a phone book. He's a New Yorker. I have a New Yorker in front of me because I'm fucking classy. Let me read a sentence as Klaus. Um, in the Red Notice, Browder describes getting the news of McGinsky's death at home in London. The pain I felt was physical, as if someone were plunging a knife through my gut, he writes. A few low-level officials were admonished for McGinsky's maltreatment, but no one in Russia faced criminal punishment. Actually, that is actually something that should be read in a West German voice. Um... But yes, uh, that that is the situation that we are in, and um, it is fascinating. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just I just thought like just everything just ab- just about Ule was just bizarre and or not Ule uh, Klaus. Uh, Ule seemed very down to earth. He just seemed like this dude who like 
was into like Marina and then just sort of fell out of love with her and you know and still has a thing with I don't know it was just weird uh, but it was fun Anyways, okay, that's enough about that. But I, oh, also, I should say that, like, what was fascinating was also just being at the Tate Modern. And I haven't told the story, but, like, when I was at the Tate Modern, I eventually I made it to the basement after, you know, watching a bunch of other things. And um, and it was just, it was just, like, crazy. It was just, like, funny and ridiculous. But uh, as I went to the in installation in the basement, because I don't know uh, what the Tate Modern used to be, like, but it, it clearly is, like, some kind of, revised um it's like renovated and so there's these big basement spaces that are sort of industrial and down in one of the exhibits i saw a kid uh it was in one of the rooms and uh yeah like i said it's this industrial space so there was like there was like this korean boy who was like hanging out in one of the rooms and i noticed that uh as i walked across the room there was like the cylindrical room and at the center of it was like some kind of like it was almost like a manhole cover uh, but when you walked on it, it made a big thumping noise, and there were these air, you know, there's a couple pockets. It was it was like a manhole, but not it even had more holes, and so sound would reverberate down this little tunnel that covered that the manhole was covering, and then it would bounce back up through the room, and it would just make this big rumble. And uh, and I saw the kid, and we both sort of smiled when I walked over it, and uh, and then so then I turned around, and uh, <laughs> the the 34 year old man that I was, speaking as the 35 year old man that I am today. I turned around, looked at the kid, and then I proceeded to run and jump and land on the manhole cover, and it made a big thumping sound, and me and the kid both giggled. This is like a, I don't know, this boy's probably like a like a, like a six-year-old Korean boy, and um, the six-year-old Asian boy and this 34-year-old man um, <laughs> are both in this, in this place, and I jump on it, and he goes, oh, wow, that's crazy, and, you know, he just makes that face, and then so I walk off it, and then he jumps on on this little thing and makes like a big thumping noise and I go oh like I give him this like oh that's amazing and then and then he walks off of it and then I jump on it and make that big thumping noise and we just we just do this probably for the next two minutes of just like j jumping on this manhole cover and looking at each other and it was just it was it was it it was great it was great like I was like I was like this is what it's like to love a child <laughs> this is this is beautiful and uh, this is so precious. Um, and we just did that, and then sometimes we would land on it, like, I, I would land on the manhole cover trying to get an even bigger noise, and it would make no noise, and then I would just, like, be slightly embarrassed and shrug, but he would, like, nod, like, this six-year-old kid would, like, nod and be like, yeah, I understand, you know, we, we all can't hit a hundred. Um, you know, we all can't hit a thousand, I should say. <laughs> Hopefully we can hit a hundred. Um, but yeah, I just, and then he sometimes would miss, and I would give him that look, I would give him, like, this consolation of, like, hey, you tried your best, man manhole cover just was not cooperating with you today but come back we're both gonna do this again it was just it was like it was crazy it was just we did that for a while and then eventually i was like this is probably weird i probably shouldn't be doing this and so i left the room and the kid followed me he just started following me to different things like we started looking at art exhibits together and like sort of just like standing next to one another and I was like, I'm not going to shoo this kid away, but, like, I also don't want to get in any trouble as, like, a, a guy traveling alone in his 30s. Um, it's just, it just seemed way too suspicious. Like, like I went, like, at a different part of the installation, I, like, the, a record was playing, and so I put on headphones, and he sat down next to me. And he just stared at me. And then he put on headphones, too, and we both listened. And we just looked into each other's eyes. And I was like, my boy. <laughs> I did not say my boy. <laughs> I didn't, my boy, you finally returned. 
Um, no, we just like looked at each other and we just like listened to music and we just were like both in this moment, just there, enjoying it. And God, like I really hate the fact that I have to be in this fear that I'm gonna be like some of the people think I'm like a pedophile or some kind of a weird child predator because it was just this really sweet moment of just like me sitting next to this kid and us just being like, yeah, we're both in this museum and we're having fun and we're alive, baby. We are alive. And, you know, I don't know. It was just, I was also like, where is this kid's parents? And the moment that his parents see me, they're going to kick my ass. Like that was what was running through my mind. I didn't want that running through my mind. I don't need that running through my mind. I need to like be thinking about this record I'm listening to. You know, or just being in the moment to be like, this kid's cool. And I don't know. Like, do, uh, do I ever. And on the other side, you know, on the other side, uh, you know, not just being scared about like being seen as a predator, just being like, oh my God, do I like. Do I want to like. Was this like teach this kid something? Like, like in the grand scheme of things, am I supposed to have like a soft white beard right now? And I don't? the fuck am I going to offer this kid? I have no secret moves. I have no move that can explode a man's heart. You know? I can't use meditation to travel through time and space. I don't have any of that stuff. But he's just looking at me. And this kid's just looking at me. And I'm looking at him. And then we look away. And we're listening to this weird record made by an artist that's not really meant for commercial listening. But it's like pop music. And I'm reading the lyrics. And then I hand... The vinyl, you know, like, because it's a vinyl record that's playing. Because, of course, it's a, it's a modern art museum. Of course, it has to have 1950s technology. Of course. And, um, and I hand the, um, the, the case, uh, you know, like the, the jacket uh, for the album to the kid. And he looks at it and looks it over. And we're both just sort of sitting there on this bench <sighs> in the basement of a modern art museum in London both exploring and having the times of our lives and we're just we're just there. And then eventually I turn to him and I say, Hey, what's your name? And he stares back at me and he doesn't know what I'm saying. Whereas he doesn't speak English. And I don't he tries to speak to me in Korean. I know it's Korean. I don't know why I know it's Korean, but I know it's not Chinese. And the boy looks Korean. So I'm pretty sure I just thought it's Korean. He's Korean. And uh, we realize that we can't communicate with one another. And the spell is broken. And I go, I think it's time you got back to your, to your parents. And then it was really funny because, like, you know, like, I think I wandered off or he wandered off. I think he wandered, yeah, he wandered off. Because he realized, like, you know, at that point it's like we couldn't connect. Like, we couldn't, you know, like, talk. And it was like, okay, you know, let's just leave this. Let's just leave this at a high point where we had great memories. You know, let's not let this fall apart by a language barrier. Let's not let that happen. Let's just remember this moment, Park Yoon. Let's just remember this moment. I'm assuming his name is Park Yoon, and I know that that's racist. Um, I later saw Park Yoon with his uh, with his mom uh, in like the main lobby, and I think he looked over at me, and I sort of looked over at him, but I, then I looked away, um, and I put my earbuds in because I um 
because after all we'd been through, um, I didn't want to get arrested. <sighs> I did not want to get arrested. <laughs> that is so, that, that yeah, I mean, or just, I just didn't want to look back. You know, I realized I had to keep moving forward. So the cops wouldn't find me. Um, <laughs> so his mom wouldn't report me to the police. Um, yeah, it's just funny when you interact with like random kids and their their parents aren't around. You're like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, like they're just doing this. They're just doing this. Like, are they trying to test me? Like, see what I do? Because I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to make this kid laugh and have fun with him. Maybe it's a test about whether I'm ready to be a father and not whether I'm a pedophile. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, that was just like a really funny moment in parking in my life. Um, and the last thing I want to say was it was amazing to go to the Tate Modern because I was in there probably for like four hours. I was just like transfixed on all the art. But what was great was um, was also like when you exit the Tate Modern, like everyone, it's the end of the workday, right? Like the, the place closes at like I think 5.30 or 6. People get out of work at 5. And so everyone's just sitting around like having, like some people are reading books. There's a big grassy lawn. The Thames is right there. And you leave and the sun's just you know, setting, and people are sitting on the grass, and all these fucking, you know, just beautiful people, stylishly dressed, you know, tailored clothes, and they're just having pints, and I remember I went down to, like, the bar, and had a pint, and just, like, stared over the ocean, and it was just fucking, it was so cool, it was just beautiful, and you're just people watching, and there's, like, these beautiful British women around, and they're just hanging around and it's summer because of course it's really cold and miserable there a lot of the time so they're so excited that it's just June and it's beautiful and Park Yoon's out there with his mom and they have a dog and uh, you know I realize that I'm just in one of those like dreams before like Freddy Krueger comes out and kills you if you remember like those Friday the 13 movies it was amazing it was so nice to be out there and uh, I love that I'm talking about one trip while going on another uh, perhaps I'll talk about this trip when I'm going on the next one. Um, you've been great. I've been even better. And uh, thank you for listening to the Jack Michelle Radio Hour. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Gucci.